Hi everyone, welcome to Hopeville Church's virtual service. My name is Adam Harbaugh, I'm one of the pastors here at Hopevale of the Great Lakes Bay Region in Michigan. And we're really glad that you are here to worship with us today, especially in this season where we can't gather physically. You know, we know that the world is surrounded with so much uncertainty right now. And you know, maybe some of that uncertainty is what brought you here today. And so if you're worshiping with us for the very first time today, I just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, it's our hope that you will experience uh, a message of hope and peace in Jesus through today's service. And if you would go to our website at hopefield.org forward slash new, we have a digital connect card there that we would love for you to fill out. Just a way for you to let us know that you joined us and we would love to respond just with a welcome to you and to uh, put some additional resources in your hand. I'll let you know that we're praying for you. We're thinking about you in this time, even when we can't see you face to face. So again, thank you for being here. Well, hey, as we prepare uh, our hearts for this worship service, uh, worship through song, through digging into God's word, let me just go to the Lord in prayer uh, to open us. God, we thank you so much for today. God, thanks for this opportunity that we have to worship uh, in this way, uh, in this season right now. Lord, we know that you are unchanging, that you are still in control, that you are still on the throne. And Lord, even when our lives feel relatively unsettled and uncertain, God, we want to focus our attention on you today because of the peace and the hope that we have in you. And so God, may you settle our hearts on your faithfulness to us, even in the middle of a difficult season. God, uh, prepare our hearts for how you want to speak to us today, how you want to encourage us today, uh, how, much, how you want to remind us of your presence with us. God, we thank you for that. Lord, as we think of all that's going on in the world today, uh, we continue to pray just your hand of healing and protection uh, on everybody, especially who's on the front lines working to fight COVID-19. Lord, in so many ways, you have a captive audience right now to demonstrate your power uh, over this virus if you choose. And so God, we, we ask you today that you would use this as an opportunity to demonstrate your power if that is how you choose to act. Lord, we know that you have the ability to do that. And so we ask, uh, we, we request of you, God, that you would do that as a demonstration of your power and your authority over the entire world, God, and that through that, people would know how great and awesome and powerful you are. So God, again, uh, today we want to return our attention to you and look forward to sharing this time together uh, as we uh, align our, our hearts and our lives to you and your love. God, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now raise a hallelujah in the presence of
Yay! Wasn't that so worshipful, you guys? I love that. My good buddies, thanks for uh, helping lead us in worship today, where we could raise our hallelujahs in the midst of whatever we're going through. That's uh, such a great song for our season and the time that we're in. Well, I'm Billy. Glad you're uh, logged in today to worship with us. Thanks so much for uh, attending Hope Vale online today and uh, being with us for worship. Hey, there's a story I wanted to share with us. Uh, I read it online uh, uh, this earlier uh, this week. This guy, David W. Manor, put it out there. And it's a story about sailors. He said in the 17 and 1800s, there were sailors that had a superstitious tattoo on their hands, and it was the word hold fast. So it was H-O-L-D on one hand and F-A-S-T on the other. So hold fast, pretty gangster. (laughs) And I guess the superstition was that they would be able to hold fast to ropes and, uh, you know, the uh, big piece of wood that they're hanging off of in the middle of the sea, that uh, they'd be able to hold fast, and that this tattoo would help help them uh, hold fast and live. And it would uh, thwart and avert danger and things like that. Well, <clears throat> uh, in this uh, article, too, he talks about Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 23, and I thought this was great. So the author uh, of the book of Hebrews uh, says this, It's not a superstition. This is a sincere heart of faith uh, remark here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's short. I'll read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And man, I don't know how you guys feel sometimes in the middle of all of what we're going through with this, but... um, I think maybe sometimes we can feel like we're uh, sailors in rough seas up high on a deck, um, waving around and uh, hoping and praying that um, nothing awful happens to uh, anybody else anymore. And I know this has caused all of our prayer lives to increase, which is uh, great, but not for those reasons. But And so as we continue our time of worship today, let's together read this centuries-old uh, confession of faith. Um, it's a It's the first question of what's called the Heidelberg Catechism. So uh, maybe if you grew up Catholic or in some other Protestant faith, uh, you went to catechism as a kid. The word catechism just means uh, a set of questions and answers. Uh, And it helps uh, like form the structure of teachings in in faith-based teachings. So this old confession of faith is the story of our faith and has been used for centuries in worship. It's pretty powerful. I think there's something powerful uh, in addition to that about saying something out loud, declaring it with your mouth and using your own words. Um, I think it's uh, I think it'd be good for us uh, and will give us strength to to hold fast in a time where life just seems kind of kind of wonky. So let's read this together as I read from um, this page. So it says this: Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And let's read together. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sin with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, All things must work together for my salvation, because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And so let's hold fast to this confession of our faith. Let's hold fast to God's word and his scriptures and these things that um, give us um, a time of solidity. Uh, a time of um, strong faith and a strong foundation in what feels like um, the short-term wavering. So let's worship together in this song and uh, pray for God's words to change our lives continually. Give us strength, help us cope in this world 
It's Pastor Dan, and this is the Sunday after Easter. And you know, I gotta tell you, this past week has been quite a roller coaster of emotions for me. It has, I mean, on the one hand, I am so pleased with how everything came together for our Easter celebration. You know, from the service itself to Pastor Adam hosting a virtual lobby experience, from all the interaction on Facebook Easter morning with our church family, that was great, to that powerful ending and leaving the service with the blessing. I mean, you know, given all the restrictions that we're facing with this lockdown, I can't imagine Easter Sunday going any better. He is risen indeed. That's the good news, you know, but on the other hand, I gotta tell you, it was hard for me not being with you physically in the same space to celebrate Easter. And to be honest, much harder than I thought it would be. Really, that heading into Easter, I mean, I knew up here that was gonna be the case, but you know, when I woke up Easter morning, it, it hit me deeply and unexpectedly, and I felt a little lost. I did, as a matter of fact, <laughs> I hopped in the car, drove to our Saginaw campus, entered into the worship auditorium by myself, of course, and I just sat there and I soaked it in. And as I was sitting there, it took some time to pray, to pray for our services, to pray for our church, to pray for our community, and to pray for you, right? That you would experience the living hope of Jesus Christ in fresh and ministering ways, especially during these strange and uncertain times, right? 
And you know, I even did this. I even got up stage and I read the Easter story out loud to myself, right? Only one there. It was like a one man responsive reading. And I just hope the security cameras didn't catch that because that moment probably looked pretty weird, right? Well, that's my Easter story. And my guess is that you had your own bittersweet mix of emotions last weekend as well, which is okay. Because whether it's us missing our quote unquote normal Easter, or it's us feeling the loss of anything else that we're missing out these days, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to acknowledge how hard that feels, right? It's okay to grieve the, the loneliness or the separation that you're feeling these days. Because see, when it comes to grief, yes, grief is a, a hard emotion, but it's not a bad one. It's not especially for believers in Jesus Christ that because of Easter, because of the empty tomb, because of the resurrection, we do not grieve, as the Apostle Paul says, as those without hope. No, to the contrary, that because Jesus is risen, you can be confident that your story will not end in grief and sorrow. It won't. Now, hope doesn't mean that you'll avoid those things in life, but it does mean that they're not going to win out in the end. They're not, because Jesus wins out in the end. I think that's why I love these beautiful words from Psalm 30, verse 5. That our weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Our weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning, just like it did that very first Easter Sunday when the women came to the tomb and they learned of the greatest news ever, that he is not here, but he is risen. Jesus is risen, so even now, in the midst of whatever darkness or sadness or heaviness you might be feeling these days. I want you to hold on to the hope of Jesus. Hold on. And I want you to keep on celebrating the victory that is yours because he lives. Because he lives. Well, as we turn the page to this week and as we continue to face an indefinite timetable as it relates to when we'll be allowed to get back together again at the Saginaw and Bay City campuses, we're going to have to adjust the original plans we made earlier this year. And that includes the baptism services that we were supposed to have today. Baptism with our church, that's always one of the highlights of the church year. And we're going to have to postpone those for now because, you know, that's an experience that is best shared together in live and in person. And we will do that one day soon, Lord willing. But for now, as we go to plan B, which, you know, our plan B, by the way, is still God's plan A, right? You know that, that whether it is a COVID-19 global pandemic or anything else that comes our way, it never catches God off guard. It never catches him off guard. But for us, though, we are living our plan B so that today and for the foreseeable future, we are going to take a journey. We're going to take a journey together through the gospel of Mark from the New Testament so that we can experience and express the hope of Jesus like never before. We're going to take a journey through the Gospel of Mark so that we can experience and express the hope of Jesus like never before. So last week on Easter, we celebrated the end of the story, right? But today we're going to go back to the beginning of the story, back to the beginning of Jesus's life and ministry before the cross, before the empty tomb, so that we can understand and appreciate who this Jesus is and who he wants to be for us and that we can do that in fresher and deeper ways. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in this series. So let's go ahead and start then. And to do that, I want to begin by reading the opening verses from Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, the opening verses that we're going to look at today. And then right after that, I just want to say a brief prayer and then we'll dig into the details afterwards. Okay. But right now, Mark chapter 1 from the top, let's take a look. Here we go. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, Mark writes. As it is written in the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins. 
and the whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me, John says, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, John says, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. May God bless the reading of his word. And as we begin, let's go ahead and bow with a word of prayer. Ancient words, ever true, changing me, changing you. So Lord, for this weekend and for this series, as we begin our journey in the Gospel of Mark, may you use these ancient words that are both timeless and timely to change us from the inside out, and to bring us new hope like never before. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a little bit, we're going to talk about what we just read. But before we do, I want to tell you why we are looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Why the Gospel of Mark? Well, just to start as a quick flyover, uh, the Bible is a book that revolves around Jesus and consists of two parts. So you've got the Old Testament, right, which is the story of God's chosen people before the time of Jesus. And in that Old Testament, we read about God's people and all their successes and their failures and their desperate longing for a promised Messiah. All of this before the time of Jesus, so that when you get to the New Testament, you read about the life of Jesus, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and that's followed by the subsequent birth of his church, his church that is entrusted with his message and his mission. And then when you get to the end, you get a glimpse into the future of Jesus's forever reign, right? Old Testament, New Testament. And then in the beginning of the New Testament, you have four gospels or four biographies of Je Jesus written by individuals named Matthew, Mark, Luke, in John. Four biographies, you know, they tell the same story, but they do so from four different perspectives, depending on things like their personalities, their purpose for writing, and the people that they were originally writing to. So here's what you need to know about Mark's gospel and why I chose this one for our series. Well, first of all, Mark is the shortest of the four gospels. 16 chapters in total, all the others have over 20. So it's got that going for it, right? But then second and more seriously, what I love about Mark is that it's very action-oriented. Action-oriented. Mark doesn't bog down. As a matter of fact, one of the favorite expressions that Mark likes to use in his gospel that we're going to see numerous times is an expression translated with words like immediately or at once. Why? Because Mark has a sense of urgency to what he's writing. See, compared to the other three Gospels, Mark's has the highest percentage of stories and interactions relative to the amount of teaching. A lot of story, a lot of interaction. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the teachings of Jesus, and we should pursue that, you know, definitely on our own time. But, you know, what I like about this Gospel, especially what I just sense we read right, need right now, is the human element, Right? That in these stories, there is a human element. 
how Mark records all these different encounters that Jesus has with all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Because when you see Jesus interact with them, when you enter into their stories, you begin to see parts of yourself in them. You do. And you realize that even though you're separated by things like time and distance and language and culture, you realize that you're really a lot more like them than you might think. You are, which means that this same Jesus that we're going to read about also has something for you. He does. Now, like I said last week, here at Hopevale, our mission is, as a community of grace and truth, we want to invite people to know and follow Jesus with us. We want to invite people to know and follow Jesus with us. We want as many people as possible to know Jesus personally as their Savior and then to follow him more fully as their Lord. And you know, that's my heart for you. It is. And so what's great about this series is that you're going to get to meet Jesus for who he really is rather than who you might think him to be. Who he really is rather than who you might think him to be where all your wrong notions and all your negative religious experiences that they can be replaced by these firsthand encounters with the one who is full of grace and truth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of mankind. Now, there's one other thing you need to know about the Gospel of Mark. And to me, this is pretty fascinating. The scholars generally agree that Mark, in writing his gospel, got all his material from the disciple Peter. That's right, Peter. The same Peter who was there for all of it. And he was there not as a distant journalist, but he was there as an inner circle friend. Now talk about someone with inside access, right? Someone who actually went through all the highs and lows and fears and doubts. And, you know what, someone who wasn't afraid to tell the honest, ugly, unvarnished truth about himself. We'll get to see that too, right? Including those times when he lacked the faith, when he missed the point, when he thought he knew better than Jesus, and the crushing of all failures when he denied his Lord on three separate occasions. Because we see so much relatability in Peter with all his frail humanity, I think he becomes even more relatable to us in all our weakness and imperfection. And that relatability is there for us to access if we let him. See, that's my hope for you as we begin this series, that you would come to Jesus. You would come to the Gospel of Mark just as you are. Just as you are, not as you think you should be, or even worse, as you pretend to be with others. No, come as you are. I want you, the real you, to get honest with yourself, to be honest before God each week in the Gospel of Mark. Why? So that you can encounter the hope, all the hope that Jesus has for you. So that's our introduction to the Gospel of Mark. But now for the rest of our time together, let's go back and see what we just read and talk about a few things that we need to consider back in chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, right out of the blocks, Mark writes this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. You know, in one sense, this opening verse really says it all. It does, that Mark is going to tell us the story about Jesus. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Son of God, the risen Lord and the conquering King. And that this story at the heart of it all is a story of good news. The story of Jesus is a story of good news. And it's a story of hope for all who are willing to receive it. This is why Mark is so excited to share it with us. right? But see, like any good story with a great ending, you have to start at the beginning. You have to start with once upon a time. And so that's what Mark does in chapter 1 of his gospel. He introduces us to the eventual hero of the story, and that's Jesus. But actually, before he does that, Mark first introduces us to the person who introduces Jesus, this unusual character named John the Baptist, right? the one who eats locusts and wild honey, the one who wears camel hair clothing with a leather belt. Right? See, before hope arrives, hope is first announced. It's announced that in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy some six centuries earlier, 
John is God's anointed messenger who is preparing the way for Jesus's arrival on the scene. And in doing so, John has let everyone know that the world as they knew it was about to change forever. It's about to change forever because something greater, something more powerful, someone fully divine was now about to step on the stage of human history. And he's about to bring about a new heavenly reality that mankind had never seen before. Never. Verse 7, verse 8, and this was his message, right? After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit from above, the Holy Spirit from God. See, John's ministry was about outward identification, but the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of inward transformation and the work of the Holy Spirit that changes people from the inside out. You know, in hearing this message, people back then, their minds would have flashed to the promise of the new covenant that we see in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel spoke these words of a time in the future. Listen to this. Where the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and put in you and give you a spirit of flesh, a heart of flesh, excuse me. And when I do, I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. A new heart, a new spirit, because the spirit of God lives in us. That's the promise of the new covenant, you know, and I cannot tell you how radical these words are when it comes to how you and I think about religion. That instead of thinking in terms of I have to or I'm supposed to when it comes to God's ways and commands, the new covenant of the Spirit that Jesus came to bring about is now going to make us think in terms of I want to or I'm excited to. Where the burden of religion now becomes a joy. Where the obligation now becomes a privilege. And so what the people of God back then longed for over the course of the centuries and what people like us desire today as well is this hope of heaven that would come and bring about something different and something better. A something that only Jesus could offer. Hope announced. That is the role of John the Baptist. We see in these first eight verses. And and as he announced it, it actually happens. Hope arrived. Verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I mentioned earlier that today was supposed to be our baptism Sunday for us as a church. So I think it's pretty cool that we get to read this passage and that we get to be introduced to Jesus like this. Where Jesus, by the way, is getting baptized by John, not because of forgiveness of sins, but he does so to identify. To identify with the work of John, work of God that John had been carrying on before in the world, a work that is now being handed over to Jesus. So there's this passing of the baton, if you will, where the story now is going to be all about Jesus. Hope has arrived. And not only that, but in this very moment, this very unique and very unusual supernatural occurrence takes place. Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and a spirit descending On him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. John announces, and heaven affirms. And I cannot tell you how significant this moment is on several levels. Because first of all, you have a collision of worlds, right? Heaven torn open and invading this world, which, by the way, hold on to this phrase, torn open, because you see it. At the very end of John's gospel, in some very mind-blowing ways, right? But then second, you have here the appearance of the Trinity. The triune God. God the Father speaking words of love and affirmation to God the Son, Jesus, in human form. While God the Holy Spirit is consecrating this sacred moment by descending upon Jesus like a dove. And then finally, you know, I find it fascinating that before Jesus preaches his first message, that before Jesus performs his first miracle, that before all this, 
His heavenly father first simply tells him this. I love you, son, and I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'm proud of you. And you know what? God feels the exact same way about all his true sons and daughters. He does, including you. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment, but let's move on because now the story takes a sudden twist. Verse 12. At once the Spirit sent him, Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And this was afterwards, right? Remember how I told you how Mark likes to use phrases like immediately or at once? Well, here it is. At once, Mark writes. We go from hope affirmed to hope opposed. Hope opposed. We're right after the love fest of the Jordan River. This same Holy Spirit leads Jesus into a rough fest in the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan over the course of these 40 days in the wilderness. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, gives us a lot more details about this experience. That where Satan tempts Jesus a couple different ways. He tempts him to doubt God's goodness, and he tempts him to discard his mission of hope. To doubt God's goodness and to discard his mission of hope. I've got something better for you, Satan tells Jesus, on three different occasions. And he says, I'll give that to you if you bow down and worship me. And listen, we need to understand that this wilderness temptation was legitimately difficult for Jesus. Jesus, the man who is dealing with physical hunger, who's dealing with relational loneliness, right? And you know, don't miss, don't miss how quickly this heavenly hope is opposed on earth, right? How quickly the opposition rises, yet in the end, Despite the temptation, despite the the grueling nature of these 40 days, Jesus stands strong. He resists the temptation. Again, all of this, right, happening before the ministry begins. Where you have the announcement, the arrival, the affirmation, the opposition. It all takes place before Jesus begins his ministry. But now that's about to change. Because our final verses of the day tell us this. Look at this, verse 14, verse 15. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, that's his home region, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Hope proclaimed as Jesus starts telling the world Right? right, beginning in his home province of Galilee. He's telling them about the good news of God. The good news of God. And what is that good news? Verse 15, that the time has finally come. The moment this world has been waiting for, that the kingdom of God has broken through. It's broken through into your midst and is now right here among you. That because I am here, Jesus says, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And because it has, repent. Turn away from your sin and your selfishness. Turn away from your self-righteousness and self-reliance. And instead, believe, receive the good news of God. The good news of God that you're not just hearing from me, but the good news of God that is actually about me, Jesus says. That to believe in the good news of God is to believe in Jesus himself. That all roads to hope ultimately lead to Jesus. That's why this moment in history is so significant. Jesus arrives on the scene. The time has come. The promises and prophecies of the Old Testament are now being fulfilled. Heaven coming down to earth. The kingdom of God is near. And that demands a response. A turning away from everything we used to trust in and then a turning to and a wholehearted belief in the good news that Jesus came to bring, the good news that is about himself. Repent and believe the good news. This is the very first sermon that Jesus ever preached. And really, it's pretty much the same sermon that I tried to preach to you last Easter. That at the heart of Christianity, there's not a set of rules. No, the heart of Christianity is a savior who died for your sins, a savior who rose for your forgiveness. And so just like Jesus here in Mark chapter one, I too want to invite you to repent and believe. 
to repent from your sin and selfishness and to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, to enter into God's kingdom by trusting fully in him. I want to encourage you to do that. I also want to encourage you to reach out to us if you have any questions or want to talk to us more about Jesus, about who Jesus is and who he wants to be for you. We would love to do that. Well, we have covered a lot of ground today. So we've kicked off our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. But before we close, I just want to leave you with some possible action steps for this week. Some possible action steps with each one being more or less relevant depending on where you are right now and what you feel like you're going through these days and really what you need the most. And so with this initial introduction to Jesus, I think there are three things we can take away from today's passage. Three steps we could take into greater hope. Here's the first one. Embrace affirmation from God. Embrace affirmation from God. I cannot tell you how many times in the past I have come back to this baptism moment in the Jordan River, and more specifically, to those words of unconditional love and absolute affirmation that Jesus heard from his heavenly Father. And the reason I do that is this, is that I struggle and I still struggle with my affirmation apart from my performance. I struggle with acceptance apart from what I do and what I achieve. The idea that God would be madly in love with me simply because of who I am to him rather than what I do for him. That's what this message teaches, right? That's why Jesus, me, you, all of us, we need to hear those same words. We need to hear that same voice of heaven speaking into our hearts. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased, right? See, that's my story. And I bet for many of you, it's the same as well. We too need those life-giving words of affirmation from God spoken into our hearts over and over again. See, this is why Jesus and his good news are so fascinating, so liberating. Because you know what? You're never going to find that same kind of unconditional love and affirmation from anyone or anything else in this world. You're not. Sure, you you might get glimpses of that through a loving parent, a caring spouse, a devoted friend. But even the best of them are incapable of loving you the way God can. They are. That's why your core identity as a person needs to be built upon the unrivaled, unchanging, unconditional love that our God has for you. So embrace affirmation from God. And so if that's where you're living right now these days, I want to encourage you to take these words of affirmation that Jesus heard in that Jordan River moment from Mark 111. I want you to take those and I want you to personalize them for yourself. Right? I want you to take them and I want you to read them daily and prayerfully. And as you do, think about your own life. Insert your own name. You are my son, Dan, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You are my daughter, Kathy, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Again, put your name in there. Make it your own. Because what was true for Jesus back then is also true for you. All because of Jesus. It really is true for you. So embrace affirmation from God. Second, expect opposition from Satan. Expect opposition from Satan. That if God did not spare his own son from temptation in the wilderness or the torture of the cross, then why should we expect any different? And while we may not fully understand God's sovereign wisdom to allow Jesus to go through what he did, we can be confident of this, that this isn't about God punishing his son or that God somehow made a a mistake. No, Jesus makes it clear. And Mark, through his gospel, lets us know that it is the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. It was Satan who pushed and stretched Jesus through this time of temptation. See, I think we as Christians, we can often fall into the trap of both misinterpreting our circumstances and misunderstanding our blessings. 
Can I say that again? We, we misinterpret our circumstances and we misunderstand our blessings. So that if we encounter difficulty in life, even like we're going through right now, or if things don't go our way, our mind can wander to some false and wrong places like, well, I must have done something wrong and I'm being punished for it. Or that if God really loved me, then I wouldn't have to suffer like this, as if being a Christian means we're always going to be spared from hardship and heartache in this life. But see, that could be further from the truth. No, Scripture clearly teaches that when you plant your hope fully in the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope he has for you, that when you do that, you become a target of attack from the enemy of your soul, Satan. You become a target. Satan, who would love nothing more than to get you to doubt God's goodness, just like he tried to do with Jesus. You know, Peter, who fed all this firsthand story material to Mark to help him write his gospel. See, this Peter knew this kind of opposition far too well. He knew it both as his failures as a follower of Jesus and also later on with the challenges he faced as a church leader. And so it makes total sense then to me that Peter, later on in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, would write these very words about this kind of opposition. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, where Peter says to fellow Christians like us, Dear friends, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, if this can happen to Jesus, it can happen to you. It can happen to you, so don't be surprised when you have to face hard things. Doesn't mean you've done something wrong. No, it means you're a Christian. It means you've got a target because you're a carrier of hope. So expect opposition from Satan, just like Jesus faced. And then finally, extend hope to others. Extend hope to others. That rooted in God's affirmation and in the face of Satan's opposition, God sends us out into the world as ambassadors of hope to the people around us. Ambassadors, that's what he did with his son and that's what he wants to do with us, his church. So no, we're not Jesus, but as his church, we are entrusted with his mission. We are told to share his message, to proclaim the good news of Jesus in what we say, in what we do, in how we live, in how we love, in the ways we care, in the ways we share. Extend hope to others. And boy, if there has ever been a time when this world needs ambassadors of hope, that time is now. That time is now ambassadors of a living hope in a loving God. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that's supposed to look like when we're living in lockdown these days, but here's what I do know. That beyond the, the present health dangers we're facing and the anxiety that's creating, this is also a very trying time for people emotionally, relationally. Far too many of us and others, you know, we're feeling distant, afraid, alone, isolated. And listen, when you're living there, it can really mess with your mind. It can really mess with your heart big time. And you can lose sight of the truth. You can lose sight of the hope that's right there for everyone. That's why I think some of the most powerful acts of love these days are also the simplest. I do, a call, a text, a note, a prayer, an errand, that when you let someone know you're thinking about them and that you're praying for them, I know that God can use that to do wonders. He really can. So this week, I would encourage you just to be open to the person that God lays on your heart, right? the name, the face, the situation, the struggle. Be open and so that when you feel that nudge from him, You'll be led to do that special something for that certain someone. So do that. And then can you imagine? Can you imagine the kingdom impact of each one of us who's sharing in this service if we all actually responded and reached out? That would be incredible. So this week, by the grace of God and with the hope of Jesus in us, let's do that, right? Let's do that. Let's extend hope to others. Because everyone needs hope. And, every, and as we do, guess what? We are continuing and we are partnering in the ongoing story 
of good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the hope that he has for everyone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that the time came and that the kingdom of God drew near in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he did, everything changed. Heaven came down to earth. Hope came and we're different all because of Jesus. So yes, we thank you what we celebrated last weekend. The cruel cross, the empty tomb, knowing that Jesus has conquered death that he is the victor and that the resurrection he experienced, he invites us to share in as his sons and daughters by grace through faith. But thank you too for the opportunity we have to take this journey through the gospel of Mark and to walk step by step and to see Jesus and all his interactions with people like us and to encounter hope just as they did. God, thank you. We would ask that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to receive for what, what you have for us this and every week. And that your Holy Spirit, the same one we saw in this passage, would speak truth and love and affirmation and challenge and encouragement to our hearts. Thank you for the invitation to repent and believe. Believe this good news in Jesus. And God, as we hear that, and may it take root in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our world. That's our prayer. And God, as we follow the example and the model of Jesus, so we see all that he faced when he brought hope into this world. We pray. We pray that we would embrace affirmation from you that we would expect opposition from Satan and that we would extend hope to others. And God, with this last one in particular, we pray that you would show us as a church, you would show us as people what that looks like to be those who spread hope to those around us because Jesus, yours is a living hope. So thank you for that. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. We pray especially for a deep encouragement and a blessing upon those who need it physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And God, thank you that you know the names and you know the stories, both the people hearing right now and the people in our lives who need it the most. God, would you do that? Would you shine and spread your hope in and through us? We pray because our hope is in you, Jesus.
I love that song and all the truth that it represents. That God is our miracle worker. He is our way maker. He's our promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. Our God, that is who he is. And I hope that the truth of that song will resonate with you all throughout the week. Well, hey, as we wrap up our service, just a couple things that I want to leave you with. First of all, we would love if you continue to stay connected to the ministry at Hopevale throughout the week. And there's a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, the best first place would be through our app. Uh, also, our, our, uh, our website at hopevale.org. And then finally, through any of our various social media channels, Facebook in particular. Uh, lots of great ways to stay up to date on what's happening and feel connected as we go through this time. And then finally, a word about giving. Uh, you know, for anyone who has continued to faithfully give to the Lord through the, the ministries at Hopeville, we just want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in that area of your life. And if you feel led to give, uh, we would love for you to be able to do that a couple different ways, again, through our, our mobile app. And you can text the word Hopeville to 77977 as a way to give directly there. You can also do that through our website at hopevale.org slash give. Or if you want, you can either mail a physical check-in or even drive it to our Saginaw Ministry Center location on Shattuck Road around the back of the building. There's a locked Dropbox there that you could put that in directly. Um, but ultimately, we just want to say thank you for your continued giving to uh, the Lord through the ministry at Hopevale. Well, hey, until next week, uh, may God bless you and keep you. Uh, and keep your eyes on him as we navigate another week. Uh, of the current reality, and we hope to see you back worshiping with us again next week. God bless.